In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea. And we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Father, thank you so much for my brother Dan. I pray that you will move him out of the way, though, and may the word be proclaimed to your people today. I pray that in this you will give him the strength that he needs to proclaim to these people uh, the message that you have for them today. Thank you that our paths have crossed, and thank you that our church is better because of Dan and, and his wife and, and his family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I might have to turn you on back there. All right. You might not have to turn me on at all. All right. Well, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Thank you for that, Paul. Trying to make the big guy cry before he gets in the pulpit. Um, Most of us would probably agree I'm a little interactive, so you can say yes and amen and nod and raise your hand and stuff when I ask questions. Many of us would agree to the following statement. So if you agree to this statement, raise your hand. Just say, I agree with this. I want to be useful in strengthening others. Okay, a couple of you don't want to be useful in helping. I want to be supportive and encouraging to my brothers and sisters. All right, pretty good consensus. I want to be absolute best for my brothers and sisters, and I want to go the extra mile for them. Okay, that pretty much goes without saying. That was the easy part. And you can, you can still be honest, and you can raise your hand on the following statement if you still feel this way. I want to be useful in confronting sin in the lives of others. <laughs> okay, we got one honest guy in the room. I want to be useful <laughs> in confronting sin in the lives of others. All right, how about this? This is the last statement, and then I'll actually start preaching. Before I can point out the toothpick in my brother or sister's eye, I need to remove the two by four out of my own. All right, we agree with that statement. All right, we're, we're halfway there. It's that confronting sin thing that really bothers us. We love all the support and all the encouragement and all of that. And I have to tell you today, I, I love that here Paul invites me to come preach in the book of Galatians. He's teaching through Galatians. And he saves... 6, 1 through 10 for me. That's I really thank you for that. I appreciate it. So I want to remind us today that the battle, the struggle, the fight to encourage and uplift each other and live in community does not exclude the possibility and the inevitable conflict. Not only that, but there needs to be a way that sin can be confronted that doesn't bury people. So, it isn't helpful for us to parade around in this perceived perfection that we have. We've seen enough of that in the Western church. Everybody parades around in the museum and they forget that it's actually a hospital for the sinner. What we need to do is we need to share our struggles. We need to be open about our sin. We need to be authentic. It's not always pretty. It's not always pleasurable. 
And if we're going to be a true community of believers who follows Jesus, one of the things we need to do is reflect Jesus when we confront sin. We need to reflect who He is, and we need to see how He conflict, uh, confronted sin. So we're going to look at that, and I think Paul lays some things out. This is, this, I don't do this all the time, but I'm going to give you four sort of uh, things to remember when confronting sin and, and trying to lift a brother or sister up and hold them up and build them up. So I think today's text shows us that. Now I want to preface this with this very thing, confronting sin in the body of Christ has been done very poorly over the last 2,000 years, particularly in the last 150 in the American church. So I, I understand that some of this has already got some of us squirming in our chairs because we've had this done poorly. We've been treated wrong in the confrontation of sin in our life and there is pain that is coupled with that. There's pain associated with that. There's trauma that is still lingering in your life because this has been done wrong in your life, in your past. Some of you may be new to Christendom, and this ha- that, that, that's not there yet. And I pray that it never manifests itself that way. So I want to preface it understanding that even the words I'm speaking right now are causing people pain. But the words of life will never return void. And so I want you to be sure that when, as we get to this section of Galatians, and, and, and Paul has already been talking, uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to look, we're going to go back, we're going to look, we're going to see, what, what, what did Paul preface this statement with? Now last week, your pastor taught through the, 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 the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And we're going to see how that really, how that was the preface to what we're going to see today. What, what Paul has in the scripture today. So here's a pattern that I, I, I hope to present to you, Mercy Village Church, this, this new, growing body of believers on mission in Barbersville, West Virginia. This is something, if, if you're going to take notes, there's four things that I think we see in the text. And the first principle that I want to share about confronting sin, and it's, it's necessary. You, can, you can't agree with the statements we started with if you don't agree with confronting sin in a brother and sister's life. You just can't. You'll never be truly encouraging. You'll never be truly uplifting. You'll never be truly supportive if you don't tell your brother to stop at a red light and don't go through it <laughs> until it turns green. Sorry. I'm sorry. I was just being contextual. Um, the first principle is up, not down. Write it down. Up, not down. Here's the first principle. And Paul says it, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So when you find another believer in sin, now, now we take this word, this English translation of caught, and we think, I snuck in, and I caught him doing wrong. Caught ya! Ha! 
One, that means that you're on the hunt for it. Two, you're coming at it at the wrong angle. Because the word here actually is, is, a, is, a, is a Greek word that means to be snagged or caught in a net. Like a fisherman. So, so the, the audience of Paul, the Galatians, the, the, some of the fishermen in the crowd would have understood this Greek word that he used. That, so sin catches you, it, it tangles you in a net. You get caught in a net. And you feel like there's just no way out of it. And the goal here, and that's why I say up, not down, is not to continue the bondage in the net. So we lift someone up. The first thing people do, and we do it with our children, and if you're a parent, just repent today, because I do it all the time, and I have to repent all the time. The first thing we do when we catch our kids or we find out they've done something wrong is we beat them down. And this is what we do in the Christian world too. We, we, we beat a brother down. We beat a sister down. So remember, up, not down. Keep in mind that the, the objective here is not to crush someone. It's not to break them and cause them to submit. It's not for us to render a final judgment. That is not our job. Our job is to restore. So when someone is caught, and like I said, that means snagged. When you find someone snagged in the net of the adversary, we cut them out of the net. We who are spiritual, he said. Okay, so wait a minute. Paul's telling us that some of you right now shouldn't confront sin. Those who are spiritual. Those of you who are spiritual should what? Restore them. So we have to know, we have to define who that person, who who are these people that, that should help restore a brother and sister in Christ? Well, Go back to last week. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he names off some. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And what does that mean, keep in step with the Spirit? Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So Paul is telling us, here's the posture of the person who can confront sin. It's the person who is spiritual, who is walking in step 
with the Holy Spirit. Those who walk in the Spirit, obedient to the Word of God, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are enjoying the fruits of the Spirit, they are to restore a brother or sister who are in sin. Now, the opposite of being in the Spirit is being in the flesh, being carnal. Paul talks about it to his letter to the Corinthians, who, who were well-deserving of, of this teaching. But he says to them, people who are divisive and self-centered and disobedient, there's really only two possibilities for us. We're either acting in the flesh, which is selfishness and envy, and, and, and Paul describes it here in a minute, thinking that you are something that you're not. That's acting in the flesh. So someone who's haughty and thinks that they're better than someone else should not be confronting someone about their sin because they themselves should be confronted about their haughtiness. He's saying those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are in the battle to walk in the Lord, to walk in his precepts, to, 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 and, and you have the mindset of Christ, and we're going to see Jesus' mindset here in just a second. At any point in your Christian life, if you are walking carnally, you are not to confront another one doing the same. Now, when a believer has fallen into sin, and we use the word fallen because, and that's, that's a pretty Christianese term, fallen, they've fallen, they've fallen. And that's why I say up, not down. Because our tendency, anybody ever, any MMA fans in here? All right. Guy goes down on the mat, what happens? Ground and pound. Ground and pound. That is our tendency. That is, a, that is a fleshly, carnal response. If he's down, ground and pound. And we do it in the church. They go down and we pounce. And we make it. What we're actually doing is creating more sin in that person's life. Not only in our own, but in their life. I'm going to give you an example in a minute. So then how are we supposed to respond in a church. I think about it in my own home. If I am not if I am not walking in 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 step with the spirit, how am I being a spiritual husband and a spiritual father and a spiritual leader in my home? How many times have I had to go to my children and tell them that the punishment I just gave them was completely from the flesh and not even evident that God had any representation in my life because of the way I treated them? Unfortunately, it's been more times than the times I've actually responded properly. Now, does that disqualify me forever from ever confronting Paul about running red lights? No. First Thessalonians, Paul writes a letter to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. And are over you in the Lord. Note he said over you in the Lord. And admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And the next thing he says to them is. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you brothers. This is what he urges. This is what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. This is what I'm urging you to do admonish the idol. 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. And see that no one repays evil for evil, but seek to do good to one another and everyone. So what he's saying is, see to it that no one repays evil for evil. See to it that when someone falls, we don't ground and pound. But that we lift them up, not knock them down. So how are we going to do that unless we have our own life in step with the Holy Spirit? This is why we take communion to, to, to reflect and, and, and remember what Christ did for us. The, the ultimate example of taking our sin, bearing it to the cross, and then in exchange, giving us His righteousness, giving us His status. So, how are we going to do that? How are we going to help a stumbling brother if we're not even having the right mindset? The word there is cartedizo for restore. It doesn't mean to further break. It means to mend. It, it, it can even mean to put something back into socket. You, get, you ever pop a shoulder out and you have to put it back into socket? It hurts going back in. But man, when it, once it's restored, there's a little bit of work that goes on and, and it's functional again. The correction of sin is not about pointing out someone's failure. It's about restoring the body to full function. That's what it's about. So if we enter into confrontation of sin with the mindset of punishment, then we have the wrong mindset. We actually want to break that shoulder more. We don't want to pop it back into socket. That cartet zeal, it means to mend, to repair, to put back in. So when we confront sin, we go up, not down. The best thing we can do is to help people see their sin. Help people see the current condition that they find themselves in, in this sin, and call them to repent before the Lord. Not call them to repent to us, not call them, which is it's necessary. If they've wronged you, they should apologize to you. But let me give you a, 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 a gift today. Sin is not yours. You didn't pay for it. Every sin is against God. Every sin is against God. People in this room right now, I know many of you have been hurt and wronged by someone. But that sin is ultimately against God. You are his possession. And that sin is ultimately against him. So yes, they should repent to you. But if we're just stopping the buck with us, and we're not pointing them to, to redemption and full repentance to God. We have lost the vision of what? Because what happens with us is when we try and stop the buck there, we now want revenge. We want them to pay penance. We want them to earn it back. So we need to help them understand their sin, their condition, and the the consequences that come with sin and remind them 
that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We admonish them. We call them to repentance. We assure them of God's forgiveness. But what happens is we don't forgive, so we're not assuring them of God's forgiveness because we're the image bearers of God. And so if we're not forgiving them and we want them to pay, then that must be what God wants too. So we plunge them in to works for salvation. Reminds me of John chapter 8. I won't read the whole story, but the story where all the men are gathered around the woman and they're ready to stone her to death. What does Jesus do? He walks into the middle as she's cowering down, ready to receive the stones, and he picks her up. He stands her up. He says, up, not down. Stands her up next to him. That's what we do when we restore someone who has sinned. Up, not down. I don't want to be a, in, a, in a legalistic church. I don't, I don't want to be in some censorious, pharisaical group of people that beats someone down when they're doing something that is hurting them. Because what we're doing is we're just adding to their pain. So Mercy Village, be a church that is an up church and not a down church. So that's the first thing. Now the next one is, Paul shows us right here. He says, hold, don't scold. It is not your job to be the Holy Spirit. It is not your job to be the Holy Spirit. The word there, he says, bear one another's burdens. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now that word burden Varaz, it means a heavy load. He's going to say burden again. We're going to see it in the text again. And it's not the same word. We're going to see it. It's different. You can read this text in English and think, there's a contradiction in there. Here we see him say, this sin is so heavy. Sin is a burden. It is a heavy, heavy load to carry. Temptation is a heavy load. It is difficult. Sin, habitual sin, heavy load. So it speaks to this aggressive, habitual sin that is repetitive in the life of this brother or sister who has fallen. And they describe it as heavy burden. It's so heavy. So not only should we say not not down, but up. Up, not down. But now we're going to hold them and not scold them. What does this involve? It involves prayer, fellowship, and accountability. That's what, that's what holding someone up means. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to see what your goal here is. I'm going to hold you accountable to it. And I'm going to have massive fellowship with you. The Lord speaks to us in many ways, but His primary sources of communication are prayer, Scripture, and the fellowship of the saints. Right? What's the first thing we do when someone sins? When you sin personally, the first thing you do is you stop praying, you stop reading the Word, and you withdraw from church. No prayer, no scripture, no fellowship with the saints. And we spiral down this hole. Perhaps this isolationist theory is a sign to those of us who love the brotherhood and love the sisterhood that there is something wrong. 
So maybe there's someone that hasn't been around the, the saints in a while that we need to go and check on. So it says, bear one another's burden. This weight is just too heavy to bear alone. So we hold them up, and we hold them, and we don't scold them. What good is it to lift them up just to beat them while they're standing? So, what does this involve? If It involves prayer, fellowship, and accountability. I didn't see guilt trip in there. I didn't see ridicule. I didn't see public shaming. I didn't see any of that in there. I didn't see Paul mention any of those things. Over my years of ministry, I've helped countless young men particularly, but couples, young couples, older couples, new believers, all types of backgrounds. And I can tell you this, ashamedly, I can tell you this. My confession is that when I used guilt and shame as a tool of redemption, it isn't. They quickly fall into other sins like lying and hiding things or disappearing from the body of Christ altogether. I run them off instead of running them up. Shame and condemnation. Write this one down. Shame and condemnation are not tools of restoration. They're not. They're tools of destruction. And we've used them for far too long. So we need to take them out. We not only have to... to to, to, to not use them. We need to take them out of the toolbox and throw them away. There's no space for shame and condemnation. There is there for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we just read in, in Romans chapter 5 about shame. We, they, they don't have any place in our toolbox at all. None. So when we pick up a brother and sister, we pick them up and we shut up. And we let the word of God do the speaking. We let the Spirit of God do the convicting. We sometimes will use words that cause no conviction. It causes destruction. So when we are speaking to a brother or sister who is hurting, and we're confronting, we hate that word confrontation. We don't like to hear that word. We don't like confrontation. There is a good use of confrontation. Jesus describes it for us. Matthew 18 is a beautiful example of the, the proper biblical confrontation. And Paul says in verse 2, when you do that, when you pick them up and you hold them up and you shut up, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, how has he loved us? By casting our sin as far as the east is from the west. And then giving us his status. So, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now let me pause here for a second and remind us that we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. I see this happen. I, I, I work. I work in a in a in a, in a school uh, school bus repair shop. It's my full time job, and I watch as we have guys that are mechanics there, and they're lost as a goose in a snowstorm. They don't they don't know Jesus. They they. They completely have no understanding of living in a godly manner. And then I watch as I have this one particular brother whom I'm trying to work with, and I watch him condemn them constantly for their behavior, calling out their sin all the time. And the other day I just said, you know what, man? You need to let lost people act like lost people. 
Your job is not to confront the sin of the lost. Because if this is what Jesus is, I don't think they want to come. This, what we're talking about here, is the confrontation of sin in the life of a believer. It's not your job to be the Holy Spirit and, and condemn your lost friends for their lost behavior and try and act like the Holy Spirit and convict them for the lost th- things that they're doing. That's not your job. You should actually show love to one another because by this, all people will know the words of truth. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. So a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Galatians 5.14, the whole law, Paul probably just read this last week, is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of love. So in verse 3, as we continue through the text, he says, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. He's setting it up. to. He just told us who should be restoring those who are spiritual. And then he says, if you think you're something, I'm going to remind you that you're nothing and you deceive yourself. And Paul simply is identifying here the fact that that one of the chief reasons that we don't stop and help someone and pick someone up in the proper way is because in honesty, we think we're better than them. We think we're better than them. We've arrived. I've dealt with all of that, and I have matured. You got the turd part right. (laughs) I really don't have time for that. I got my own problems to deal with. Certainly not going to stoop down to that level and be drawn into that sin. You can make up every Christian needs excuse you want. You just think you're better than them. We look down our nose at someone. We say, how could they be so foolish as to blah, blah, blah. We think we're superior. We think we're something when we're nothing. Friends, you might be more sophisticated and more educated and more polished, but you know better. Accept the blood-applied righteousness of God. So when God looks on you, He sees the perfection of His Son. That's what makes you better. So verse 4, He says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Oh, wait. He should, we, I thought we weren't supposed to boast in our works. That's why it says, let each one test his own work. And then you're raising to boast. If you are a believer and you are truly testing yourself, you will come to no other conclusion but that you are nothing without Jesus. So he says, if you're truly testing yourself here, then your reason to boast will be in yourself. Because you're going to be able to realize that I'm nothing without Jesus. And not in my neighbor. So then he really confuses us. What he's really saying here is it's your responsibility. Before we start going on and putting on the sin hunter badge and running around trying to correct everybody's life, hey buddy, examine yourself. 
That's what he's saying. Examine yourself here. Examine your own life. Be sure that your attitude here is right. If we're confronting sin so that the image of the church will look better, it's the wrong mindset. I don't want somebody like that representing Mercy Village. What our attitude should be is, I want my brother to be restored so that our body will function properly. There's a difference in those attitudes. And so Paul is reminding us that we should examine ourselves and test ourselves because if we're believers, we'll come to the conclusion that we are nothing without Christ. And then we will have the mindset of Christ, which is walk in between the people with rocks in their hands and lift this person up and restore them to the body. But then he really confuses us because he then goes into verse 5 and he says... For each will have to bear his own load. Now wait a minute. In verse 2 he just told us we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. So what is this? Are we supposed to bear one of those burdens or are we supposed to bear our own burden? Well, we're not talking about the same burden. In English it both says burden. But in Greek the first burden is a heavy weight of sin. it's, It's an uncarryable weight. But then we get here to verse 5 and it says, bear your own load. So is this a contradiction? No, of course not. The word's different here. Baros in the first verse, in verse 2, heavy, heavy weight. Here, fortitan. This is the word that that is, it, it actually means faults that the conscience affect the soul. Huh? What does that mean? It has to do with sort of the general issues of life, not a particular heavy burden. It simply means the spiritual duties assigned to us. Do you realize that there are spiritual duties assigned to us? Simply put, the first thing we do when we find someone is in sin is we check ourselves. Paul is stressing this. And that's why he says, you who are spiritual, after you've checked your attitude, after you've checked your motivations, after you've checked and reminded yourself that you are nothing without Christ, and you are ready to bear that spiritual responsibility, this is the burden he's speaking about in verse 5 here, this is now an issue of life. And you can't handle it without Jesus. Now go lift them up and hold them up. And if you're too proud to do that, God's not going to use you in this instance. And if you continue and you proceed, then you are not being used of God. You are being used of a lowercase God. And you are going to cause destruction, not redemption. You are going to cause pain and not victory. So the first thing we do is we examine ourselves we make sure that our attitude is right. And then we're ready to bear this responsibility that the Lord has given us. So we examine our own hearts. We don't boast about anything except that the Lord has prepared us for this very moment. Because then we're not the one correcting the sin. 
See, this is always the problem. We go to a brother and they say, well, how dare you talk to me about you did this and you did this and you did Well, man, when we were in high school, you used to do this. and Right? I'm not coming to you as me. I've checked me. I've checked me at the door. You need to examine your heart. And we boast about nothing. And we bear this spiritual responsibility that God has laid upon us. And we go and we lift them up. Not down. We hold them up. We shut up. We share the word of God. And then the next thing we do, the third principle to confronting sin in the life of a fellow believer, build, not bury. What does that mean? Now that we're holding them up, now we're going to build them up. Stay with me. We're almost to the end. We lift them up. We hold them up. We build them up. What does that mean? Verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Paul is describing discipleship. You see where he places discipleship here? Not on the initial reaction. Because you've got to check yourself before you wreck someone else. And he says, all right, now that you're ready to bear this spiritual responsibility, you've got to bear this responsibility. What's the next thing we do? We disciple. Now, the definition of discipleship is not me standing up on a hilltop saying, get up here and be like me. Discipleship is going down and walking together in the direction of Christ. Discipleship is a two-way street. It's confession. It's conviction. It's confrontation. It's celebration. And Paul is saying here, build them up. Don't bury them. What do I mean by that? It's a mutual sharing of this divine truth. When I was helping a young guy overcome his struggle with pornography, it was a long process. And when I engaged him with this and I checked my motivations, I was assured by the Holy Spirit that my motivations were right. I wanted to see my brother restored to the body of Christ and I wanted to see him freed from this sin. And so what I said to him when we sat down for our first meeting, and he was nervous as a cat next to a pool. I mean, he was just, he was just, he just thought, here it comes. D- Dan, former drill sergeant, like, you know, the, the stories about me are so untrue. My wife actually got mad at me one time. We used to work in a group home. She came to me one night, she said, I can't believe that you lied to those kids. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, the kids think that you killed people. And, and that you they, and they told this big story about how you killed somebody. I said, I have never said a word to any of these boys, some of whom are bigger than me. I've never said a word to them about anything I did in the military. If they think I'm that BA, I will let them think that. <laughs> so this guy comes to me. He's nervous. He's scared. He thinks because... He's been treated wrong on this issue before by God's people. He's just thinking, here we go, round two of... 
And I said, here's what I want you to do, man. I want you to write down the number of times that you viewed this week. He was like, you, you, you want me to view pornography this week? I said, no, what I don't want to do is bury you in cold turkey. And then next week you're going to come and be a liar and a porn addict. What I want you to do is have some realism in your life. And I want you to see your sin. I want you to write down the number of times that you view. And I want you to be disgusted with you. I want you to be disgusted with your sin. Six months later, we were at zero views for at least eight weeks. You see, I wanted to build him up. And, and I would say, hey man, call me when you're feeling like you need. I want you to not only be disgusted with your sin, I want you to identify why you're doing it in the first place. What is it that you're replacing Jesus with porn with? Because Jesus is the answer. So I want you to see what it is that you are missing out on by viewing this. What are the feelings that come about? And he was able to identify shame. He was able to identify embarrassment. He was able to identify anger. And he was able to identify all these things that were triggers for him to to sin and replace them with the goodness of God. But I didn't bury him in the weight of of expectations that he couldn't meet. And so when we correct sin and we hold, we, we lift them up and we hold them up and we build them up and we remind them of the goodness of God and we let them know that their sin is actually something that they desire and we want Jesus to be what they desire. And so we help them by building them up and not burying them in the weight of unreasonable expectations and causing them to become even more of a sinner. And that's why we can't just have a pamphlet out back that says this is how you handle this sin. Because each sinner is a different person. And so we have to check ourselves. We have to make sure our motivations are right. We have to lift them up, hold them up, build them up. And then Paul says this. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mine. You might have made it through these couple steps and you've been faking it, but don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh, from the flesh will reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life, and let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. So not only are we going to say up, not down, we're going to hold and not scold, We're going to build and not bury. But we're going to keep it up. Paul closes this section with a warning and a well-wishing. Combined. 
He warns those. Those of you that are doing this in the flesh to build yourself up, you're trying to impress your pastor, you're trying to impress your boss, you're trying to impress somebody, and you're not trying to be a representative of God, you're responding in the flesh. And guess what? You're going to reap in the flesh. Because one day, you're going to be the sinner that needs to be confronted. And you're going to reap what you sowed. Paul says, keep doing it. Those of you that are doing it in the Spirit, even though it is not fun, if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're examining yourself, if you're seeking to support the brethren because you are representing Christ and His abundant mercy, even if you experience setbacks, even if you experience difficulties, even if you do, don't give up. Take care of your community, yes. Be kind to others, yes. Get crapped on, yes. Be taken advantage of and mistreated, yes. And keep doing it. Jesus didn't stop at the cat of nine tails. He didn't stop when he threw the cross on his back and had him drag it up the hill. He didn't stop because he knew the effects were eternal. Mercy Village loved one another so well and so authentically that the Barbersville community would want to be a part of this family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your abundant mercy. Thank you for this call by your holy scripture for us to have the right attitude when it comes to the confrontation of sin in the life of a brother or sister. Let us handle this in such a way that you are seen, you are glorified, and those who are lost will want that for themselves in a family of God. Lord, I pray right now for those in this room that have been a victim of the MMA style of, of confrontation of sin and they have been beaten into the floor. One, I thank you that they have dragged themselves back into a house of God so they continue to hear the words of truth despite the poor representation by someone in their past. I pray for the growing believer who is thirsty for your word right now and he so desperately wants to be a good dad or she so desperately wants to be a good mom and a good wife and a good husband a good co-worker Lord I pray that you polish the badge of their heart and not the badge of their sin police Lord I pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters that they would examine themselves I pray for maturity in leadership that they may even have to find another to assist as they have sought out sin in their own heart. And they fear confronting someone else without dealing with their own. Lord, I pray that the words of truth would penetrate the hearts of the believer. I pray for someone who is caught in a sin. And I don't mean got caught in a sin. I mean caught.
caught as your word described. I pray for someone right now who feels like a fish in a net. And their sin is just choking them out. They can't breathe. I pray they would gasp for help. And I pray that the person who responds examines their heart, examines their motives, motives, examines themselves, and they apply the mercy and grace and beauty of the gospel rather than their own disappointment and anger. Lord, may we be a people that reflect you in every way. In Jesus' name. I love this church. I love these pastors. May you bless and grow this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.